You're listening to an Irreverent Podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from our friends. Hi, friends. Sarah here with a brief disclaimer. You are listening to a podcast about making space for other people as well as for yourself, which may mean that you're going to hear language and ideas and thoughts, not just about life, but about faith that are different than your own. My hope is that you will listen to this podcast with an attitude of space making, being able to hear things that are different from what you may interpret the world to be. It also may be different than how the hosts feel about the world. But again, we are working together to make a little bit more space for each other. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Making Spaces podcast. I'm one of the co-hosts, Sarah, and this is... The other co-host, Josie. How the heck are you, Josie? I'm stressed. <laughs> Talk to me about it. I um, got a dog this last week. I am now a mother to a rescue dog. And by mm. rescue dog, I mean straight off the street. Um, right. right. <laughs> so it's a lot more stress than I thought it was going to be. I'm really good with dogs of all types. Dogs love me. They so love it does. Energy. Dogs also love your partner. That is like my right. dog loves when you guys are here. Like it is. Yeah. I, we, I have a couch that's like an L. And I'll be honest, when you guys are here, he spends <laughs> all of his time on the L that you guys are on. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, she loves, my dog loves us and she mm -hmm. loves me especially, which is great, but she's not socialized to people and or dogs. So, mm. I mean, we can walk her and it's not a big deal. She's not aggressive, but as soon as somebody approaches her, then it's all hell breaks loose, which is uh. normal. I should have expected it. I'm used to big aggressive dogs, so it's not like a huge. I don't fear her biting me when I'm ripping her away or whatever. That's not a big deal. She's little, right? Yes, she's a. I'm thinking she's a rat terrier. They kind of look like Chihuahuas, but right. I know enough Chihuahuas to know she's not a Chihuahua. So she's a mutt. I love mutts. Um, emotionally, I wasn't prepared for, you know, being a parent so quick. Well, I mean, it was a surprise adoption and. She just needs, uh, we're doing attachment therapy, which means uh, for all the white people that sleep with their dogs, Mexican people don't really do that. And it's, oh, I 100% am Caucasian in this field. My partner immediately the first day was like, picked her up and put her in my bed. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to have to be okay with this. Yeah. I mean, I like the idea. It's just, um, you know, dogs are kind of gross, but it's fine. Do you like the idea or I feel like you don't like the idea? It's cute. It's I like the idea as okay. long as I don't think about where their paws have been or that they all lick their genitalia all the time. It's fine. We had a um, kind of had a big week uh, with our um, with our mm -hmm. church. We had outdoor church, which was so great. Um, and that went really well. And I think um, it's it's great to kind of feel like things are um Things are, uh, yeah, starting to open up a bit, but still really yeah. safely. So it was good. Yeah, it was funny. The people, a lot of people in my life who go to church are like, oh, you're barely having your first service? I'm like, yes, assholes, we're not reckless. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, we were pretty safe about it, but it was a lot of work. And um, yep, I think it was because we're, again, trying to, we do social distance and it was so funny some of the people that showed up were some of our older folks and they like 
didn't have their mask because they're like, well, we're vaccinated. I'm like, you can still get it, just not at the same level and also for the safety of others and whatnot. So it was wonderful to be together for Easter. It was wonderful. We also had the launch of our brand new media group and we're getting ready to have a launch event. So make sure you guys make sure you go and sign up. Um, Reverent.fm, mm-hmm. not.com.fm. FM, FM. And you can sign up for the launch. It doesn't cost anything, but it is going to be a really cool panel and a lot of fun. Um, so that was a lot too. And so it's yeah. just been a lot. It's been a lot this week. And you're trying to be a new mom. Yeah, I adopted the dog the same day as the launch. It was a very stressful, day. Mm. not stressful, but I was just like jittery from excitement and whatever, anxiety, whatever else was going on. You know, we often talk about how our body doesn't know the difference between um, excitement and anxiety, like in a fear stimulus. Yeah. So, well, I am glad that uh, we got to check in today and I, um, you know, it's, it's always good to sort of end our week this way and start our week this way for when it comes out. And I'm excited about this conversation. So somehow in the last, I don't know, month, we have been, um, some we call it spirit, whatever you want to call it. We've been talking to people who make space, particularly around this idea of embodiment or our bodies, or, um, even the way we eat and the way we, um, look at things. And so this conversation was someone that you knew, um, through Ireland, which is great. You guys <laughs> talk a little bit about that, but Natalie is sort of a, a neat smashing together of all things. So you, uh, recommended her and I have since been checking out a lot of her work and it's incredible, but she does a lot of stuff around, um, not just, you know, intuitive eating, but she's actually the science of it and is working on her PhD in global health. And that ties into all of this too. How do we care for our, um, bodies and the bodies of others, but she's also a like stylized photographer. So, uh, just such a neat human. Um, I'm so glad you introduced her. Yeah, she's super cool. I was pretty passionate about having her on the podcast just because, I mean, people can talk up a big game about diet culture and weight Mm -hmm. loss and stuff. But once you get the science in there, it's a little bit more tangible, I want to say. Yeah. Um, I follow a lot of uh, body positivity people online, both skinny and fat. I listen more to fat people than skinny people. But um which I think is a bias. I'm ex- I've been thinking a lot about that lately. I think that's a bias. Yes, I think it is bias. Um, mostly because I don't like to listen to people with privilege as much as people without privilege. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, we talk a little bit about that, about how um, we all have internal biases and we all oh, think sure. health looks a certain way, but it's right. not really that way. Um, and Natalie really does a good job of not only health wise, but aesthetic wise addressing the issue because she is a photographer and she talks about how there's some photographers who will not photograph certain people. And I, as a photographer, did not know that. Yeah. This was an eye-opening for me too, even as we'll get into BMI and all that sort of stuff, like realizing that BMI was sort of a invention um, of someone who wasn't trying to, uh, was just actually studying one population and wasn't the person who was doing that. It wasn't about um, necessarily a metric of health outside of that particular population. And once again, we've made a normalizing thing out of something that is not necessarily normalized. And the fact that you cannot measure one population against another. And um, 
I was after our conversation, I talked to uh, a nurse friend of mine who shared with me that they are actually learning in school that BMI is not to be um, understood for different um, ethnicities, uh, cultural, like, which I thought was great to hear because they're in nursing school right now. So yeah, fuck BMI. <laughs> well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Um, and if you do have issues around food, you heard the trigger running at the start of this, mm-hmm. um, of this episode, but it, it does discuss a little bit of eating disorders, but it's really just about encouraging ourselves to think about not just our own bodies and how we make space for them, but how we make the space for other bodies. So enjoy the conversation. Just the practice of not giving morality to food, um, really just that it's a thing that does nourish our bodies and we, we need it to nourish our bodies, but it does not hold morality. And we are not good because we eat something and we are not bad because we eat something. It, it does not give morality to ourselves. Um, it does, like I said, nourish our body. Hi friends, and welcome to the Making Spaces podcast, a podcast about making space for yourself and others, both literally and figuratively. I'm Sarah, and this is my co-host. Josie Jimenez. And we are so excited today to uh, welcome to our show. Josie, give the background and um, introduce our wonderful guest. Okay, friends, today we have Natalie Reed. Um, I know her from mutual friends. We both went to Ireland at different points in our lives and met the same people. Funny. I love Ireland. Uh, <laughs> um, but she is a registered dietitian and a PhD, PhD student in global health promotion, as well as an amazing photographer, just to round out, you know, everything. <laughs> Hi, Natalie. Hi, thanks guys for having me. It's so good I'm to have you here, so Natalie. Um, the question we always ask, um, just as space makers, whether it's a literal space or a figurative space, the question we ask people is what is one of your favorite spaces and then why? Yeah, so actually, just like my home, um, it's so funny because I used to hate being home, and I think, well, I used to live by myself, but ever since I got married, my husband and I have definitely, like, really created our home to where where we just love being here, so, yeah, my home. (laughs) I'm having a little bit of plant envy. Um, For those who are listening to the podcast and watching the YouTube channel, first of all, go watch the YouTube channel. There's uh, every, if you've ever wondered who these voices are and what everyone looks like. Um, And you can also watch Josie do her laundry because in the back, you can usually see Josie's laundry, but um, you've got this fantastic plant in the back. I have that. What is that plant called? Because I have a little tiny one. It'll be right. It's a fiddle leaf fig. Yeah. I recently murdered one, but I do have one that's growing. Yeah, they, they, they're hard to keep happy. I, I heard that they like direct sunlight though. So I've been trying to keep them by the window. But. Yeah, mine's dying currently right there. Okay, there. good to know. Guys, you're making me feel so much better. Um, <laughs> Natalie, you are someone who works with folks to, from what Josie has helped me understand, to just sort of appreciate um, food as a, as a source of um, nutrition and not the way that we eat to fuel our body versus trying to uh, make our body fit into certain spaces or certain understandings of ourself. Um, and so we kind of wanted to talk this, this whole conversation came out of one of our last guests, we were speaking with her and all of a sudden it, one of the things we talked about in making space was making space for folks who are of different sizes and, um, understanding, uh, 
the fat community. And I'll give the disclaimer that I am a recovering, uh, someone who in college had pretty disordered eating and continued to have what we would call sort of disordered body understandings. Um, and so it's this great conversation that I think keeps coming up. And so Josie and I were like, we should have someone who um, maybe, I don't know, knows what they're talking about, uh, not just someone who has experience. <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about your work and how that relates to kind of making space for people? Yeah, of course. So I do own my own private practice and I, I practice both from a holistic mindset, but also from um, an intuitive eating, um, all-inclusive mindset. So I definitely agree with you in that. Um, and, and it's kind of the way, thankfully, um, I feel like the trend is going right now is to be all-inclusive of all body sizes, um, which is great because of course, in the past, um, it hasn't been that way. So thankfully, I feel like our world is possibly starting to go the right direction, but we still got a lot of work to do. So, um, but it, it is very closely tied to um, something called intuitive eating and um, healthy at every size or haze. Um, so healthy at every size is literally just the idea that um, literally no matter what size you are, whether it's, you know, stick thin or maybe on the larger end of the spectrum that you can still be a healthy person. And um, it kind of, you know, uh, goes in the face of the old medical way of thinking where they have BMIs and kind of these cookie cutter standards that really are not um, logical by any means and really do not um, appropriately like uh, include everyone from dif different ethnicities, you know, it's the typical um, uh, white sweet Swedish man, I believe, made up the BMI um, standard in the first place. So it doesn't really give a good idea of, at all of um, any measurement of health. But unfortunately, it's still used to this day, I still have to use it in practice just by protocol. Um, but it doesn't mean that it is a good representation of health. So um, yeah, so it's just the idea that literally whatever size you are, that you can still be a really healthy person, lead a healthy lifestyle. And I always tell people that I care, like, personally, like as a, from a medical standpoint, I care way more about someone's lab values. And I care about how much they weigh, like, their weight really doesn't have any really doesn't have any implication on how healthy they are. But if you're H1C is high, then I start to get worried, you know, or something. So fascinating. I think about, so my mom is a nurse and my dad is a doctor. Wow. And uh, when my mom was in nursing school, uh, they were in a section on, um, and I hope I'm telling the story right. This is how I remember the story anyway. So mom, if you're listening, I apologize if I say this wrong. She was in a very, so she's at the University of Toronto, which is a very large school. So imagine the Ohio State, but um, in a, one town. And um, my mom was, in this class on, I believe the class was on nutrition. And this is again, the like 60s and late or 70s actually. And the professor had my mom stand up. Now my mom uh, and I are built very different. I build muscle mass really easily, even though I'm a small person. Um, we're just, my mom is very small. Um, before she had cancer, uh, she just could always, she was always just tiny. And so my mom was 105 pounds for most of her adult life, but she's five, six. And the teacher had her stand up and said, here's a classic example of anorexia. Now my mom is not, was not anorexic, 
Um, and she said the shame that she felt, she just couldn't in her own practice, in her own, she never got over the fact that it was something that felt so, uh, how do you defend that? And, you know, people often talked about how skinny she was. And she said she felt instead of feeling um, like I'm skinny and the thing that I think society often, especially for those of us who have disordered eating, like we want to get to the point, but she said it was just so much shame. And then on the other end, having people who are shamed for um, like meeting with their doctor and saying, the doctor saying, hey, you, you have to lose weight without looking at the labs, right? And so it's interesting how we're starting to hopefully shift where we don't shame the skinny person for being too skinny. We don't shame the large person for being too large. And I'm wondering outside of a clinical setting, how do you think society can start to make space for people within that, or even within our own selves? Like, um, because the narrative is so strong that healthy looks a certain way. I don't know if, if that's a, a good way of saying that, but. No, it really is. And it, you're completely right in that it does really have to start with in yourself and accepting your body for how it has been made, you know? And then, because otherwise you won't be able to accept other people, mm. so. Um, but I feel like definitely our world is, like I said, going that way and like um, the campaigns to be all inclusive, to like accept everyone for who they are. Um, but yeah, we definitely still have a lot of work to do. <laughs> um, yeah, but, I mean, even culturally, right? And outside yeah. of America, there's such a different culture in other places. And even historically, like you look at England and when they had real kings and queens and the standard was to be as large as possible and to have gout because that was a sign of like wealth or whatever which is crazy and, right yeah let me just get this weird disease that was totally preventable um and now I'm cool but like in my family I had to sit my family down at the beginning of quarantine actually because my whole life I'm very Mexican as you can tell by my shirt if you're on YouTube um they this this culture of just saying like as soon as you walk in the room there's a comment on your body like mm. oh my gosh you look so good you're so skinny or wow you've put on a couple of pounds you should really take care of that and I, I'm not the kind of person that's ever been affected by that I built my self-esteem um a lot when I was younger uh through trauma etc which is fine you know uh I love my body it's fine but it's still really fucking annoying, even if you love your body, right? To just be bombarded with like these comments on your body from the get-go. And so I sat my parents down and I was like, I just really need you guys to stop commenting on my body. And we were going through like wedding stuff. Um, our wedding had just gotten postponed. And so they're like, oh, you're not going to fit in your wedding dress. And I was like, I'll buy a fucking new one. I don't care. I don't give a shit about this fucking wedding dress right now, okay? And my family could not for the longest time see why it was such a big deal to me mm. and a lot of it had to do with I have an older sister who um is larger than me she would be considered fat right and that's not to say that fat is a negative or positive it's a neutral term I just want to pause really quick and realize you've never once referred to your sister's body I had no idea she was bigger mm -mm. I, I make it a point to not refer to my sister's body because that's not my sister's a fucking architect. Her body is not the first thing that people need to know about, right? Um, 
And so constantly my family is bombarding me with these because I have the high self-esteem and I can take it and it's funny or whatever. Um, but I mean, my mom does make comments to my sister and granted my sister has very unhealthy eating habits, but you should address the eating habits. Right. And so they constantly do this and they don't understand, or they didn't understand. Like, I can't have you saying stuff to me about this because I have other family members around me who are listening to this and I'm not going to be affected by this, but they are. Mm. And this is just not be how you talk to people, blah, blah, blah. And it ended up being like this whole fight, which just shouldn't have to be right. I should just be able to ask my parents to not comment on my body because it doesn't make me feel good in whatever way that is. Right. But people are so stuck on their ideas of how they refer to people. Even still, my mom was like, mm, that girl's fat. She should not be wearing that as they Oof. walk down the street. Right, <laughs> Very cultural. I have a long way to go on that side of the family. It's fine. But, you know. And I think that's part of the problem is that people are not willing to change their views on what is beautiful, right? Yeah. Which, Natalie, I think you have an interesting perspective on also as a photographer, as somebody who photographs all types of people all the time. How do you see that, you know, as somebody who's like actually looking through a lens to see people, how does that affect your work? Yeah. Well, first, I, I want to say that you bring up a great point and just like how obsessed our culture is in general with um, comp complimenting people on their body in general. And it comes in more ways than we even recognize, I feel like, because most compliments in general have to do with the body, like saying, oh, you know, like they, you, usually when you compliment someone, it's very common to point out a specific part of their body, which is crazy. So it's just, you mean, um, previously, Sarah, you asked before, what can we do as individuals to practice all inclusiveness and and that that's just one way is to practice complimenting um or encouraging someone in other ways that doesn't include their body okay. so that that means like um I, I you know I love the way you said that or I love how you light up the room or I love how your mental approach to that conversation you know so it's encouraging people in other ways other than wow you look great today or look at your hair or you know um look, look at how those that shirt fits you or something like that does that make sense mm -hmm. um yeah so but Josie going back to the other question too um yeah no I definitely it's so interesting because in the photography industry there are so many people that go into my industry and expect to have these cookie cutter, perfect clients. And, you know, that's why they do sound shoots and, you know, they try to build their portfolio. Literally some photographers will only, but they ask for people's picture before they even accept the job is how crazy is that? And um, like, if they were going to shoot a private wedding, they would say, it's almost like a mutual uh, interview. Like they're like, I they need to only see. only shoot beautiful yeah. people. No, literally they will, during their, in their request form, they ask you to submit a picture. And this is more common than you might think. They ask you to submit a picture. And I have heard stories of couples who just, you know, come crying because they can't find a photographer who will take them. How crazy is that? It's so sad. I know. So based on uh, an external reality. Mm -hmm. 
Also, as a photographer, I would have never, I never even thought to do that. No. <laughs> Sorry. This from is a, my face. From a human my... decency perspective oh, and guys. from a money perspective, too. Like, don't you want to make money? But, anyways. It's insane. And, you know, I was literally just talking to my friend the other day. Um, because I'm, I'm hosting a workshop in May and I definitely am having models of every size. And I was, tell, I was talking to her about that and she was like, right on, because that is not done enough. You, you have these young girls or guys come into the field, you know, trying to build up their profession, which is great. But again, they expect all of their clients thereafter that come to them to be these quote unquote, perfect, you know, people, whatever that is, you know, means to their societal standards. And that's just not reality. And so instead, you know, as photographer, like you said, Josie, like we should like, just look at it from a different perspective and that we are there to capture their moments. We are there to capture their joy. And that's kind of what I try to focus on is, okay, how can I best capture their joy? You know what I mean? I love that. And thinking through just this idea, I cannot imagine, I can't imagine someone not seeing the, the beauty of the diversity, right? Um, But yet I think sometimes we have to train our eye to see it. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I know just being candid as someone who grew up an athlete and grew up with lots of coaches and grew up with lots of, uh, yeah, medical people around me. I come at it maybe not from the beauty standpoint, but I have definitely worried about people based on their build, right? Um, and so I think it's really helpful to recognize that um, there's something beyond just, it's not just beauty that can be problem. Not, not just saying this person is beautiful, this person is not, you know, from a, and even as an artist myself, like your eyes, that's not learning how to see that beauty when you've been conditioned to think beautiful is muscular or skinny or whatever it might be. Um, because I know I have fetishized that, right? Like as within my own body or, you know, that sort of thing. And so how do you work with a client? Um, and in some ways, both as a photographer, but also, you know, when you're working with a client who is dealing with um, dietitian and how do you get them to start looking at their body in different ways? Yeah. So um, again, I, I think, um, so like I said, I practice also from a holistic standpoint. So of course, um, you know, some dietitians go to the extreme with intuitive eating and haze in that, you know, they, they say all foods is acceptable, which is true, but um, they don't, they don't necessarily um, impart their knowledge on how food reacts to the body. So I definitely try to do both um, because of course, like I want people to make healthy decisions. Um, So I'm not necessarily putting down specific foods, but I'm trying to teach people how to make the wisest decisions for their body as possible. So teaching people, okay, if you eat this food, how does it react to your body? You know, what maybe do research studies show are the long-term consequences? Um, So I, I, for example, I, I just made a video yesterday that I'm going to post to my Instagram that I'm talking about meat. So the difference between meat, okay? <laughs> and studies have shown that like organic meat and processed meat are so different in how the body reacts to it. Like 
it's true that actually people are more disposed to cancer if they eat a high amount of processed meat, where it's completely the opposite if they eat organic meat. So that's just an example, but not saying that you can't ever, you know, go to Taco Bell and get tacos, but, you know, at least people, I'm like, my goal is to make people aware so that they're able to make healthy decisions. Um, so it's a, it's really a fine line between being all inclusive and allowing your body to have permission to eat whatever you want, but also having the understanding to make wise decisions with your diet. It's a decision thing too. I think that's, um, fascinating too, for people to realize, like, um, I'm not, imposing some rules upon you, especially for those of us who have had um, disordered eating, right? That's a really easy thing for me to do. So all good, all bad, right? Um, Versus, oh, in this moment, the decision that I am making um, is this, and this is the implication that I'm willing to accept. And the hard part too is like, even as we talk about food, there's privilege in that, right? So I used to, whenever I would go back, my parents live in Mississippi right now. And I would go back to visit them as someone who grew up in Canada and have, has now lived in California. Californians and Canadians in general are a little more um, fit per se. Um, and some of that has to do with privilege, right? We have um, the means to do so. We have the means to eat the organic meat. And I used to go back to Mississippi and there was this part of me that held um, judgment around, well, they just eat biscuits and drink sweet tea and this is how you end up this way, right? And also knowing my dad's my dad's practice, um, he was a uh, he was like a family doctor. Although now he does mostly hospice care, he's supposed to be retired. He's really great at it. Um, but I I realized, you know, a lot of his practice is diabetic. He's de- he was dealing with a lot of um, diabetes from high sugar. But some of that is lack of education around food. There is great education there, but around food, um, cultural stuff, right? But then there's also the privilege of if you are eating, um, if you are poor, if you are the working poor, it is cheaper to buy the meat that is not organic, right? Um, and so there seems like there needs to be this giant cultural overhaul that stops mm-hmm. blaming maybe the victim saying like, you know, because oftentimes, I don't know if this is statistically true, so I'm just going to say something out the my butt and you can tell me if it's right or wrong, but I'm guessing a lot of folks who are overweight are often in the lower socioeconomic and overweight by, um, I'm talking lab results, not just um, external, right? Yeah, no, it's true. It's, uh, yeah, it's definitely true. I mean, you, you did get a lot of people too on, on the other end of the spectrum that are wealthy, but it's more due to their life choices and because they, they're not putting their health first. But you're completely right in that, I mean, and I said that in my video I made yesterday too, that like you said, it's a privilege. And we, as people, I think each individual has to understand that there are health disparities. And that, like you said, not everyone has the means to buy organic meat. So you can't, like me as a dietitian, I can't have a client and tell them, hey, you only need to eat organic meat if I know that they're barely getting by. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Totally. So, um, but you're hitting it right on the head. And that's and it's actually what a lot of my PhD is concerning that there are so many more variables that influence our everyday 
choices um, that maybe we don't even feel like we have control over, like environmental variables, like cultural variables, like, um, uh, yeah, so it's, there. there's so much more that goes into it than just a person decide, like eating specific food. Does that make sense? It, there's yeah. so much more that influences it. And like you said, we really, it, it's really important to educate people on this because that helps in, that helps in decreasing the amount of um, negativity that comes against people that are of larger size. Yeah. And, or, and, or of small size too. I think that's the piece that I had never, I'm also just, you know, sometimes thoughts just pop in my head, but I was thinking my best friend in high school, um, she just is, she was tiny and still is. I mean, had two kids and is tiny and she was running and had a car pull her over and say to her, like, look, you need to, um, you need to get help you need Mm -hmm. to get help. You're obviously anorexic and you need to get help. And she was just like, I'm, I'm not like, and that actually, again, devastated her. Whereas I think a lot of my larger friends, I hate to say, I was so used to them hearing Mm -hmm. publicly how people felt about them. Right. Um, and I think you're, you're absolutely right. If we don't kind of get the message out there, um, of this idea of, body diversity and health range diversity it's almost like it's the assumptions that our brains make right our brains are always trying to make meaning out of everything we see and when we start labeling good and bad yeah and it it happens i think in the dressing room but it also happens in the street like or josie's family i josie i'm so sorry to hear that you had to sit your own family down and say stop commenting on my body i mean that is but it's, I think about little kids, right? <laughs> Do I? Yeah. Good for you for doing that. Like that's what brings social change, you know, is, is like, it's just education. It really is. It's um, yeah. because people really don't understand the implications that those small comments have. Um I really also do encourage people if they want to learn more, there's a cool campaign going on right now. It's called the bigger picture campaign or the big, let me see. It's called the bigger picture. Oh, it's just a bigger picture.org. Um, but it, Ooh, we'll put the link to that. Yeah. It has a lot of um, uh, videos about how culture directly affects um, what people eat and specifically diabetes. And then it, um, and it goes to actual individuals' lives through spoken word. So anyway. Whoa. I love that. I love that. I think that. another thing that I've noticed being on social media, unfortunately, part of the part of the game, right? Um, I think we need to start holding people accountable for the, the shit that they do. Like all these influencers that they're stupid, what is like the tummy teas that don't work, they're just diuretics or laxatives or whatever. And this these like supermodels right who are like oh look at me eating this cheeseburger meanwhile you know that they're over here on the other side of anorexia probably working out to a degree that is so unhealthy and or like other people right normal people that do that where they attribute like I can have this cheeseburger if I run a marathon later if I burn off those calories which is equally as bad for your body I think as you know 
not eating enough because you're essentially doing the same thing you're not fueling your body with enough nutrients because you think whatever calorie counting whatever 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 um so I think like holding people accountable on social media like I can't tell you how fucking tired I am of skinny people telling me to love my body because like I get it it's easy for you to love your body because Except you know, maybe it's not Josie like I want to push back a little bit like me telling you people to love their body uh you know I think some people would say how dare you it must be easy to love your body but they don't know the years of therapy it's taken me to say that you know right but like from a societal standpoint yeah. like I understand like people have their own struggles and that's like totally valid but is that the voice we need to hear from at this point in time you know like there's a lot of skinny people telling us to love our bodies but it's not relatable to those of us who are not a size two or whatever because like yeah it's just like this shift because it is kind of a privilege like you people that are smaller have a privilege of in society already what no matter how they got there unfortunately like they have this privilege of being seen as beautiful and valid and worthy and healthy whereas the rest of us for societal reasons just don't have that same privilege because we have different body genetics because we're just I'm like even like feeling my bones I'm like this is not a body that would ever be a size zero like I don't think my bones would ever fit that way I think my bones would fit in it (laughs) (laughs) like my I feel my bones are like right there (laughs) um but yeah like the influencer culture is just so guilty for me like Mm. because you know yeah I understand wanting to get the money to advertise a stupid product but do you see yeah Natalie are you seeing people adversely affected by these quote-unquote because it used to be I think we could look at models and whatnot and it was it was really far away does that make sense like it was like well they've had airbrushing they've had whatever it's a far enough thing that I don't feel like I have to nest as much reach that means so like I was right during the like Kate Moss phase is when I was um kind of in middle school, right? So those were the images that I was seeing, I guess high school. Those were the images that I was seeing, but it felt really far away. Whereas I feel like what Josie's speaking to, I think is a little bit like, these are actual people. Um, And not that the models aren't actual people, but it felt like when someone posts something, it's their private post, they're doing it themselves. Now we do know that some of those do get Photoshop. That was a new world for me. I didn't know people would do that. Um, Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah, we'll do it way more than you think. There's apps. I don't know how it. to do it, guys. So it's so easy. I couldn't believe how easy it is these I've days. Shot, I've shot influencers, and they go in Photoshop. They like, and it's not even Photoshop. It's literally just an app where they can like. Yeah. They, yeah. Oh. And wow. and then they look like a dwarf or so disproportionate because it's, it's an app. Yeah. But, it, oh, do you think it's affecting? Like, are your do you think your clients and folks who are dealing with body dysmorphia yeah Yeah. dysmorphia do you think that's is it growing because of that I see both sides right I see the beauty of like you know Ariel and even Spencer like all these people who are starting to normalize these you look at this person and think god they're gorgeous Mm. um and that again it's a superficial but it it almost feels like we have to go there so that we can meet in the middle right like um are you seeing it more and more because these social media things? Yeah, and you you even get um, new terminology. Like, what is it? Like, it's like 
and there's a new type of dysmorphia, but it's like, <laughs> it's like called like the Snapchat filter, something mm-hmm. dysmorphia or something like that, where really? people are used to seeing filters over their face, their face that when it's no filter, they then put themselves down for it because it doesn't meet the expectation of the filter. Cause they're so, used to seeing their own face in a filter. Wow. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely, the next generation that's coming up, I feel like it's going to impact them so hard. So it's just, and I don't even think we've begun to see the iceberg of the, of the implications it's had on their mental health and, and on their just own body dysmorphia. Um, So I don't know, I guess that just even puts a bigger burden on us and, and educating the youth as well comes from both ends of the spectrum are you seeing yeah. mostly adults or do you also see you i see mostly adults okay. yeah 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 so I we've got to, a couple of years to figure out what it's going to look like huh yeah i have one younger gal but she's she's in her 20s so um yeah so oh man it's yeah. such a shift even as i love this idea that you're both a photographer and uh, a <laughs> professional in this realm because i think um, one of the photographer I work with, um, whenever I'm doing like photo shoots for headshots or whatever, um, she doesn't alter my body in Photoshop. Um, unless I do something stupid, like have a pocket sticking out, which Josie and I took some photos. And for whatever reason, I look almost like I had male junk because my, um, pocket was turned inside out. Sorry, Jos. So she had to go in and fix that. But, um, she, does a great job of making me someone who has a really tough time with their own body. I'm learning to love her, but it is, it has been a journey. Um, I always tell people you can't hate my body more than I already hate mine. Um, (laughs) but I, it's been so fun to be in front of a camera because it has helped me own pieces of me (laughs) that I, words that I've never associated because of my career, because of who I am, like words like sexy or, um, you know, I'm 40. So having like this, like you look whatever. And, and I don't want to buy into that. I need that. But I also know, again, sometimes you have to go way over here to get to like a healthy medium. Mm -hmm. Um, how do you, within your photography work, use this, the, the ninja skills that you have from being a dietitian? how do you work with your clients to sort of bring out? Cause if we feel good in our skin, like one of the things, um, I love about Josie. And I think something that even though she's younger than me, she's, I love that if you, sometimes I'll be like, her outfits are so fun. Like when quarantine started, she like, she would come to work, like just wearing such fun outfits and she would just own it. And I remember sometimes just looking at her being like, I wish I could like, like polka dot pants and just like all this stuff. And it felt like such a, um, like, I want that. And then seeing when people are like that, when they're so comfortable in their skin, it's magnetic and you can see it in a photograph, right? Even if the person is not the quote unquote ideal, how do you get that from a client? How do you get people to feel good in their own skin, whether they're a dietitian client or a photography subject? I'd love both of you to kind of share a bit about that. Yeah. Um, it's funny because like definitely, so I'm very bossy and when it comes to photography, I'm like, just listen to me. I'll tell you exactly what to do. But it, I once in a blue moon, I'll get a client, you know, that is so self-conscious that they're like, oh, I don't look good that way or that's not my good side or, you know, um, are, are my arms going to look too big, you know? And I'm like, look, if you just listen, I promise that will get good results. But if you keep 
pushing back, say, oh, you know, that doesn't look good. I don't look good like that. Then I'm not going to have that much to deliver for you because it <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, when it comes to me personally, when I do, I just try to get them to be comfortable with me and just really have fun and focus on if I'm working with a couple, I just have them try to focus on each other rather than me. And then I'll, I just, like I said, ca- try to capture their joy rather than be so posy posy. And I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I think for me, I'm, oh, I try to be ridiculous, right? Like I'll do like a little dance or whatever, like do this, do that. Just keep moving. Like blah, blah, blah. Um, But I also tell people like, don't worry about the pictures. I'm going to delete all the ugly ones, right? The ones where you make the weird face, like they're gone. Don't, you're never going to see them. Don't worry about it. I also over deliver on pictures. I feel like it really helps people like, cause um, I think people still do this, but they'll be like you for a $500 engagement shoot, you're going to get 10 edited shots. And I'm like, what if they don't like those exactly. 10? Like yeah. people are picky about yeah. even stuff that you as a photographer don't know about. Right. Yeah. So I just, all the good ones are all edited. Right. Yeah. Um, which people really appreciate nowadays. And I think that's kind of more of the norm. I hope um and I also kind of make sure people feel like they can have a say in what they want um which I know is weird to say but I'm like what do you what kind of pictures do you want like show me Mm -hmm. on Pinterest which is kind of annoying right to have somebody show you other people's work like what are you thinking but the the deleting the ugly shot or making sure that they hear the shutter like I take an enormous amount of pictures so they know like I'm getting a ton of them to choose from it makes people feel so much more comfortable than if just like the one shot well I think that's it right the the one shot I gotta get the perfect look I have Mm to pose the thing I have to um giving kind of the behind the scenes that like for that one photo there was a 300 taken whatever it might be and um I would love a I mean, we could talk forever about all this stuff, but I, I think there is this powerful connection between seeing the behind the scenes in a way that also isn't edited and curated. And, um, you know, I talked to a photographer who told me like, he actually tells brides, I, you don't want to hire me if you want someone to Photoshop your body. Cause I'm not going to do it. I don't do that. Yeah. A lot of people, that's a, uh, definitely a thing right now too in the photography realm like a lot of people are completely against any sort of body manipulation um, because they want to show people as natural as they can which is great I think it's great that's more how I function as well but I also have a close friend and she uses photoshop all the time in manipulating stuff so yeah I mean I'll take away zits I'll do what or like I have a cousin who recently we did a photo shoot and her shirt just crept up too much so I like get rid of this the tummy she doesn't want on her pictures but you know I don't make people skinnier my mom actually gets really upset with me when I take pictures of her because she wants me to like make her into a Barbie doll and I'm like I don't do that I just tell her I don't know how to do that <laughs> which is a lie but <laughs> I don't know is it a conversation about helping people I I I keep hearing in all of these conversations around space making and body and um, is helping people be where they are, even if they have a goal to be somewhere else. So understanding Mm -hmm. like, um, you know, even thinking about 
therapists that I've worked around with food stuff, they always say, yeah, it's a choice. So today, what is our choice? And if we didn't make great choices today, that's fine. Guess what? You're still great. You're doing great. Um, so what does it look like to make better choices moving forward? Um, and even in the photography world, like this is who you showed up as today. And let me tell you, older you is going to be so excited about this being you. And, um, I think often about, uh, wedding photography and things like that. And yes, you want the best photos possible for them in that moment, but it's also like, we're capturing a joy that if you're spending so much time trying to manipulate and that's in real life. So if we're spending so much time focused on our bodies that we miss out on the life that we're living in that body versus, you know, even the photos, right? Like if a couple is taking engagement photos, how exciting is that? Or wedding photos, like you don't want to be spending your whole time missing out on what's right in front of you, right? Because you're so focused on how does this look? Um, and I know yeah. that, I mean, I've, I've actually had friends, two friends who uh, developed eating disorders getting ready for their wedding. Yeah, no, oh, it's way so more common real. than you think. Yeah. It's Even me, I had such a hard time with people feeling like they could, everybody felt like they could comment on my body, like mm -hmm. suggesting the type of dress that would fit my body or doing this or the jokes and like, oh, quarantine's happening. You're not going to fit in it anymore. And it's like, okay, thank you. No, it's true. It's, it's a real thing. Yeah, I definitely felt it as well. It really is. Mally, <laughs> you have so much wisdom. I want to um, ask sort of the question that we, this conversation could go on forever. We might have to have you on again because you're such a, everyone's always layered, right? And so the fact that you're a photographer, the fact that you're studying global health is huge and diet and intuitive eating and eating the thing and, you know, but if you have like one tip for folks um, and whether it's making space for their own bodies or space for someone else's body, is there like one kind of takeaway, just a, someone who might be hearing all this stuff for the first time and hasn't really thought about it? What, what would you say? Um, well, just something that's kind of been on my mind throughout our conversation is um, just the practice of not giving morality to food. Um, mm. just a, it's a thing that does nourish our bodies and we, we need it to nourish our bodies, but it does not hold morality. And we are not good because we eat something and we are not bad because we eat something. It, it does not give morality to ourselves. Um, it does like I said, nourish our body, but does not give morality. So that's just something that's a lot harder to practice than to say, um, because it's very easy. I mean, I feel like that our culture definitely has taught that to us since we were little. If you eat that, if you eat too much candy, you're bad, you know, mm -hmm. um, you're bad. Yeah. Oh yeah. If your vegetables, you're good, you know? Um, so from little from when we were little we've been taught that and it's in our subconscious and so that's um one of the largest things about intuitive eating is learning that you are like you said before there are no rules you you have permission to eat whatever you want but it's also learning about making health the healthiest decision for your own body and that changes for every single person no two, no two people are the same so um, it's, but like I said, that's so much easier said than done, but having that understanding 
of those kind of guidelines and then moving forward and applying them to your everyday thinking um, really is what starts to make the change. I, and I'm, I think too, one thing I've noticed with you is it, it starts with you so that when you look at someone and you think they shouldn't be eating that, right? So you yeah. then are, or gosh, I wish I could eat like so-and-so, you know, um, you know, my, the gym culture often, right. is like, oh, that person's so good. Cause they're hardcore paleo or keto or whatever. Oh my gosh. Keto is the bane of my existence. You're not going to tell me that eating cream <laughs> cheese all day, every day. <laughs> it's is good, really good for you. For you. <laughs> but I think there is, um, I love this idea of starting with yourself and saying, I'm not good or bad based on this meal mm -hmm. that I just had. What, it's not a success or a failure. It's just a choice. Um, where can folks find you? Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I, like I said, I have a feeling we'll have you on again. But Natalie, where can folks find you? Yeah, so of course I have different Instagrams for <laughs> different. We love it. Plug them all. <laughs> Plug them all. We'll put them in the my, comments. My photography Instagram is at Roses and Reads. Um, yeah, I can put it in the chat. Uh, and then, let me see. Uh, <laughs> and then get it right. my health instagram is at health and heart um so that's the name of my llc um health and heart um and i also have a website for each so um try to share as much knowledge as i can uh definitely school has been a lot this quarter so <laughs> unfortunately i haven't been able to share as much but i have made more content this week so well we can't wait to call you doctor it'll be great <laughs> i know i'll only refer to you as the doctor. <laughs> uh josie where can folks find us and if they do find us subscribe like rate make sure you check out our youtube right? That's, yeah, that's a really fun space that we're just growing. I know my YouTube channel, some of our fans came over to the other one. We post the actual videos of these conversations at our YouTube. That's just for, um, just for this show. So where can people find us, Jose? Uh, you can find us on YouTube by searching Making Spaces Podcast. Um, we're trying to get to 100 because YouTube is dumb about the URL situation. You have to have 100 subscribers which is elitist YouTube, but anyways. <laughs> you can find us on Instagram at Making Spaces Podcast. You can head to our website where you'll find literally everything, makingspacespodcast.com. Um, you can email us, I guess, if you want, makingspacespodcast at gmail.com. Um, yeah, remember what Moira, Roy Moira Rose from Schitt's Creek says, friends. Take naked pictures now because you're going to want them later. <laughs> There you go. Uh, the other thing is, as we've joined a group of irreverent humans called the Irreverent Media Group, we are having an event yeah. that will, um, this podcast will be right before it. It is April 18th. 18th at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. You're going to want to join us. So if you're hearing this podcast before that, uh, just get ready for some spoilers, some great people. Talk about body image people. Man, these people are mm -hmm. having great conversations all around that. So. Thank you so much for joining us. Join us next week where we will be saving a space for you. Bye. Bye. I'm going to stop recording. This has been an irreverent media podcast.